Lester, the Nightfly. On the Pacific Radio Network. Also made available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. All hit radio. Lester the Nightfly? Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Hello, Baton Rouge. Won't you turn your radio down? Don't stop to punk rock this week on Lester the Nightfly. And I was gripped by that deadly phantom. I followed him through the hard jungles as he stalked through the back lot, strangling through the night chains. Welcome to Lester the Nightfly. This is your host, PJ Ewing. It is so exciting. I am so happy to welcome Peter Abzug to the show. Peter, hello and welcome to Lester the Nightfly. Hello, PJ. Thanks for having me. We met months and months ago as you were beginning your radio career at WPVM in Asheville, North Carolina. That's my home station as well. And I thought we should talk in depth about punk music, punk rock and roll. We all know of it, but we probably have very different ideas of what punk is, what it means, what it means to us. Peter Abzug, how do you define punk? 
Punk is is one of those words that, depending on what generation you're in, you define it differently. My punk, my personal punk, because I'm older, is from the very beginning of the of the music in about 1974 through about uh, when new wave started in the uh, early 80s, late 70s. I like to look at punk rock kind of divided in three ways. There's the music, there's the fashion, and there's the attitude. Very early punk, I'm talking about 74, 75, was very loud, very, very much in your face. It was a physical experience, not an intellectual one with punk rock. The music in the early 70s, everybody knows, yes, everybody knows King Crimson and Emerson, Lake and Palmer, where you would basically sit down and listen to a couple of speakers and that music going and, you know, maybe have a beer or whatever, be very passive about it. Punk rock broke that and became a very physical, in-your-face, bodily experience. So in the early punk rock clubs I went to and concerts, it was uh, normal to be, to really get out of there at the end of the night and be black and blue from everybody just slamming against each other and going up and down. Now, I was a lot younger then, so I was able to take it. But... um, To me, that was punk rock music. There's a whole other part is the fashion, you know, the the um, safety pin in the nose and the torn jeans. Girls and women are wearing jeans now that are torn. And a lot of that comes from the punk rock fashion era. Leggings were almost unheard of when punk rock began, but a lot of the Punkettes, if you want to call them, wore leggings, and now they're ubiquitous. So there's a lot of mix in that, too. And the attitude, the third part, there's a saying that goes around that maybe you heard it. um, You'll hear it now and then and say, they'll look at a band or somebody's action, and they'll say, oh, that was very punk. Mm. And I, I think it means a sort of irreverence, not we're going to beat you up kind of thing, but more just like, okay, I'm going to just throw my guitar, my sets over, I'm going to throw it down and leave. Uh, if you watch some YouTube videos of early Ramones, uh, the jam out of England, even on TV, when the, there's one where the jam finishes they, their song, they don't say thank you and bow or anything, you know, like the Beatles did. They just throw their instruments down and walk off. <laughs> A view of the world. A rebelliousness, it's raucous, it's irreverent, uh, it's strong, it's scary, it's dangerous. It takes no prisoners. It's unapologetic. I'm probably quoting words that were written for the last 40 years. That's okay. It does not suffer fools uh, easily. It is black and white, I I find, in many ways. I also want to say this, and you got to correct me where I I stray, but I want to say that it is... This is going to sound, someone's going to throw a rock at my head. It's unsophisticated. It's it's brutal. It's forceful. It's short. It's tight. It's to the point. It's done. 
but I, I don't see a sophistication in it, but maybe I'm not understanding it. Tell me about that, Peter. So obviously you have been studying well because mm. what you say is 110% correct. Oh. And that's the whole point of rock. So let's let's take a step back to what I was talking about. The bands, yes. Mm. Um, for example, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, King Crimson, that were the height of the alternative music then, um, with 20-minute drum solos at their concerts. And, you know, where it was really a lot of, a lot of people who attended that were, you know, high and it was part of the experience. And what happened was is, well, first of all, a lot of these musicians, especially in the US, were classically trained musicians. Mm. They, wow. um, King Crimson too, I mean, these are people who knew how to write uh, sophisticated music. Um, and by the way, I have nothing against Yes in Crimson or Emerson Lake of Palmer. I have a couple of Yes albums myself, like Close to the Edge and a few others. They're, they're beautiful. They are perfect. They are, it's almost like a Bach piece, a Bach piece, where it's, it's almost like mathematics, how they go through. And that's how they were trained. And they're, they're, they're wonderful records. Been so cruel, not being such a fool. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day, so satisfied I'm on my way. Shattered by the sun I walk a road Horizons change The tournament's begun The purple piper Plays his tune The choir softly sing Three lullabies In an ancient tongue For the court of the crimson So, at some point, four guys in Queens, New York, they got together and they just, they just loved the old songs. They loved the songs from the 60s. And they started talking and they said, you know, we, we, we all like the same music. Why don't we form a band? And they said, well, we can't play any instruments. And then they thought a while and they said, well, we're not trying to be the New York Philharmonic on, you know, in a rock band. We want to go back to the days where rock and roll meant moving, where rock and roll meant in your face. We don't need a lot for that. All we need is three chords and an attitude. <laughs> and that, 
that group became the Ramones, which is generally considered the first punk band. There, there's a quote by a British guy who was in a band. He said he saw the Sex Pistols when they were nothing, when they were just touring. And he saw that all they were doing is three chords and an attitude. And he said all of a sudden he got hope that even though he played guitar too, he could actually be successful with that, with that attitude. And a lot of bands in England and the U.S., but especially in England, started a do-it-yourself kind of promotion, of pressing records um, and such, because the large record companies would not sign them. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even look at them. And so a lot of the punk attitude is, well, who cares? We'll do our own. So if you look at, for example, like a group like the Buzzcocks from Manchester, England, they produced their own EP, which uh, they sold out of their car at the concerts. Um, just like here, when you see a band, it was a do-it-yourself DIY promotion. And that empowered these bands to be able to be creative, to be kind of a little out there. And the kids just reacted so positively to it. This was music that they could not bring home to their parents. And that's what rock and roll is all about. A lot of kids reacted to that too, saying, this is our own. And leave the Emerson, Lake and Palmer for the hippies, there's a new scene now. In your face, strong, irreverent, and you're either on the train or you're off the train. There's kind of in the beginning of punk, there was no in-between. Hmm. Beautifully stated. And uh, that current runs, you know, to this day, uh, the rebellion, the uh, it's, this is mine, it's not for you, finding your own zeit the zeitgeist of a of a time, it's a, a a thing that we're all seeking, particularly in those teen years. But I think it goes on well beyond that. And in this case, Peter, you're not 16 anymore. This is something that's really been a current through your whole life. Would would you agree with that? I'm still 16 in my brain. <laughs> the body just can't keep up. Sure. I, this music meant so much to me when I first heard it in 1974. Um. You know, I had a roommate in college. Um, I said to him, he was into music too. I said, everything's so boring that's out there. Um, yes, and I keep on harping on yes, but those kind of bands, cerebral brands, I'll call them. There's nothing exciting going on. And he, he subscribed to Andy Warhol's interview magazine. And he said, well, I don't know, there's kind of a little scene in New York, take a look at it. And, and, I, thought, and I said, this is interesting, Ramones, Ramones, who are they, are they four brothers or, God, they all look the same or, you know, it's very confusing until um, I heard them. It was, it was like hearing the Beatles in 1964 on the Ed Sullivan show. It was just, it was a bolt of lightning that went from that band to me. And um, 
you know, I, I don't listen to punk all the time. I like a lot of music, but I really feel that music today, excepting, you know, hip hop, rap and, and that side of things, you can, you can hear the connection between Green Day's song, Blink-182, or, you know, some of the more modern bands that the guitar licks are there, the speed is there, which is very important. And the, un, as you said, the unsophisticated part of it. You didn't have to be a classical trained musician. I love that part. To do this. I love that part. Yeah. You don't need to be. You just need to have an attitude and to learn a few chords. So let's play something. Let's go to 1974, the first selection on our playlist that you have given us, Peter Abzug, here on Lester the Nightfly. This is the Stilettos. The song is called Blood from a Stone. It's 1974. Let's take a listen, then we'll talk about it. Peter, how old were you in 1974? <laughs> I'm going to ask it. I'm asking. I'll tell you. I, I'm 57. I, I'm, I'm not afraid of that. My my, I was 20 in 1985, and we'll come back to that. How old were you in 74? In 74, I was 21. 21. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, there's something going on when we're 20 and we're 21, and that defines us, mm. all of us. All mm -hmm. of us. I just was in a classroom with my daughter's 10-year-olds. And I said, everybody, when you are in 2033, remember that guy that talked to you about Irish music on St. Patrick's Day when you were 10? Because he said, when you're 20, 
that music will define you. It is 1985 for me. And my reference points for your punk music and and this conversation are going to come from the mid 80s because I was 20, 19, 20, 21. That is the time where we form our closest relationships with music in my in my opinion i found this almost universally to be true whenever i do a conversation with someone that's the moment so you're you you hit 2021 right as punk and this song the stiletto song was really hitting right then uh it, it does not surprise me that punk has been with you your entire life to be truthful hmm. Well, um, your your thoughts are very insightful. I agree with you. You know, we form those connections. And I think a lot of that is because they bring back memories. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, and I, I mean, I know the exact time and place and who I was with when I heard, you know, XYZ song. And it brings me back to that time. Hmm. And I, I think that's, that's what you're saying here. And it, it's so true. So let's talk about this one. The Stilettos, Debbie Harry. Blood from a Stone was, I would say, one of the early, early punk rock records. Just a bit before uh, the Ramones formed. They formed in 1974. What I find interesting about this band is that it was kind of an incubator for what would become Blondie. So you have Debbie Harry with uh, two other women as front singers. And the guitar player is Chris Stein, who uh, eventually became her husband. And between them, they left the group. They formed a group called the Angels for a very, very short time and then uh, became Blondie. They didn't just pop out. They're all in New York. That was the epicenter at at that time because London and Birmingham and Manchester had not started yet. They were hanging out with all of these other artists that they fed off each other creatively, would take a little bit here, take a little bit there. At some point, Chris and Debbie found their love and their love in the beginning you listen to the uh, first Blondie album, um, it's very much a reference to 60s rock. I saw you standing on the corner. You look so big and fine. I really wanted to go out with you. So when you smiled, I laid my heart on the line. what's known as proto-punk before the punk movement in the 60s. And I do sometimes do a proto-punk set on first wave to kind of illustrate this. They go back to garage bands in the 60s. She said that she loved me. She said she'd be true. She said that I'd be happy. But she made me blue. Someone tells a lie If it happens to her I hope she'll cry 
Peter Abzug, he is the host of First Wave. It's on WPVM radio in Asheville, North Carolina. Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at noon, and then 11 p.m. as well on Saturdays. It's something you do not want to miss. You also, and I did this, Peter, Peter before we um, had our conversation, listen to some of your shows at the website. So you can go mm-hmm. to WPVMFM.org and then look up the shows and find Peter's show, First Wave, and there they are. And they're great riches there. You'll, you'll hear Peter do his work um, right there, and you can stream the stuff right right off of the site. So it's so worth doing. And I have to say, I didn't know how to approach this show with you, Peter, because I know the music, I, but I, I my head isn't in the game like you. And it was such a joy to listen to your shows, and I cannot wait to go listen to more of them because you're doing the, the work for us. I just get to hit play. And then you're leading us through this wonderful path of music that is really from my time as well, to some degree. And, uh, and much of it, I don't know. <laughs> PJ, PJ, I'm not doing any work. It's, it's wonderful <laughs> for me. In fact, mm. I listen to my own shows, not to hear me, but to hear the songs I choose. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, they're so fresh still and so important hey let's move on let's go you mentioned the clash earlier let's go to a track called white riot from 1977 this is the group's first album this is the clash here on lester the nightfly
let's go back to England and the U.S. in the mid-70s. In England, there was inflation. There was a terrible economy. And bottom line is there was no hope for any of these kids who didn't have connections or were from a, you know, a certain class. Factories were closing down. During that time in England, there was a lot of rioting, a lot of demonstrations, and so on. And you'll find in a lot of the British punk is very connected to the politics of the time. This was frustration coming out, which spoke to the audience on a very emotional level. And then you had the music to back that out, to pound it out like a machine gun, where they could just jump around, do the what was known as the pogo, up and down like a pogo stick, and burn off that energy because there was nothing going on. I, I interviewed Steve Diggle, who is the guitarist for the Buzzcocks, and I was asking about those those days in Manchester where the band came out of. And I said, well, what was going on? He said, nothing. There was nothing going on. Now, if you go across the Atlantic to New York, I remember as a kid, the garbage strikes. Mm -hmm. There's trash piling up. In fact, the New York Dolls, a proto-punk band, wrote a song called Trash. The city was going broke. Gerald Ford... There's a famous headline in the New York Daily News that says, Ford to New York, drop dead. And basically, <laughs> the city was broke. Yeah. The city was broke. And where you live in downtown Manhattan was were just empty buildings, drugs, prostitutions. It was, it was terrible. But the city couldn't do anything about it. It's interesting, though, that's that's the environment where CBGBs started mm -hmm. down in the Bowery. So a lot of the songs coming out of the New York bands were political, too, were in some ways just saying, you know, what's going on? It's that that politics with the song, I think is a difference from the other types of music that were coming before the the intellectual music. I don't know about you. I don't understand any of the lyrics to any of Yes's songs. Okay. <laughs> right. It's just it's just poetry and all this kind of thing. Yeah. This this was, I think, very Bob Dylan influenced to be relevant. And it really, really spoke for a lot of the kids. And uh, yeah, this was their first album. Joe Strummer, the leader, uh, was in a band called the 101ers. And he left and joined The Clash. They At that point, they had no drummer, but they cut the album anyway. And then the, by the next album, which I think is probably their greatest album, their masterpiece, is Give Them Enough Rope. Next up, Johnny and the Self-Abusers. They're the band. The song is called Saints and Sinners. It's still 1977. Let's take a listen. 
These are Scotsmen, this Johnny yes. and his self-abusers. <laughs> Who are these guys? I've never heard this one. Yes. Well, I put this on the list because there, I think it illustrates the growth of punk rock. And there were Irish bands. There were Scottish bands. Uh, we have Radio Birdman, which is from Australia. So it started, it started moving on. There's a band called Stiff Little Fingers out of Northern Ireland. I did not put this on the list, but they have a song called Alternative Ulster. Mm. So here's the, the connection. Their song, Alternative Ulster, which is probably their, their best known song, is all about a vision of a Northern Ireland without bombs, without, you know, the riots and the deaths and everything like that. They were from Derry. They saw an alternative to this and was putting that out there. That's how a Northern Irish band saw it. Saints and Sinners, that particular song, I just love it. And what's interesting is two members of Simple Minds, which you might remember they did, Don't You Forget About Me. Love, love, love. Epic. I included this in there to uh, just bring a band in from Scotland, and uh, I just liked it too. Let's uh, stay in 1977. We're going to Murder City Lights. 
These guys are the ones from Australia. Let's let's hear it, and then Peter will tell us all he knows. These are old friends, aren't they? When you hear these songs, the memories flood back, the situations. Do you think of the the bands as compatriots to, to any degree? Is it that kind of familiarity? When I hear these, I go back to really the scene and the sort of isolation if you were a punk rocker. When I really got into it, I was working in Washington, D.C., and Washington, D.C. is a very straight, vanilla kind of city. And I remember being at work and going to the record store and bringing back the first Talking Heads album and getting all sorts of, you know, trouble for it. What What's this? And Talking Heads, that's the stupidest name and kind of that. And, and what? You... You like the Sex Pistols and all this. So by going to the clubs and by going to the concerts that came down from New York, you were with people who felt like you felt, understood the music as you felt. And so when I listen to these songs, sure, I have great memories of seeing the bands. Um, but what I remember most is... You with you could be with strangers, and for that time, they're your brothers and sisters in this 
very specialized genre. And um, to me, that would give me a warm feeling um, as opposed to just the bang. Okay, so so tell us about um, this this track, Murder City Nights, from the Radio Birdman. They're a band from Australia. This particular cut was recorded live uh, in 1977 at Paddington Town Hall in Sydney. And this is a band that was, especially the guitar player, very heavily influenced by uh, the band Iggy and the Stooges also mm. known as Iggy Pop, who I'm sure you know. Yeah. Another, another proto-punk heavy influence on uh, the mid-70s rockers. They had another great song I play now and then called Aloha Steve and Dano. And in that song, the guitar player plays the theme from Hawaii 5 but in mm-hmm. a very distorted kind of way. I love it. Really, really a fun song. But this is uh, about Sydney and Murder City Nights. And, you know, every country was having their their troubles then. And um, so this is Radio Birdman, which actually is called out on a very recent track by a Boston punk band, uh, Remembering, and they, they name Radio Birdman. It's a name not many people know. Can you do what we're doing can you study it or is it something you just have to feel to really understand punk rock? I don't know if there are any courses in it, like there are, you know, Bob Dylan. What I would recommend, there are so many books out there. There are so many histories coming out now, histories of the movement. That's where I think you should go. First one's called uh, Punk the Whole Story by Debbie Harry. And the other one is uh, the Encyclopedia of Punk. Do you get more of a visceral feeling if you listen to the live versions of songs? Once a band goes in the studio, let's say the Ramones go in the studio, it becomes a whole different feeling than it being live. And I'm just using the Ramones, for example. So I saw the Ramones um, in 1978 uh, in Washington. And it was a crazy experience. I mean, I've never heard a band so loud, but so um, connected to the audience. But then you listen to the album and it's very modulated, you know, nothing goes up too high or too low. You can pretty much hear the words and and so on. So it's it's really what you prefer. The problem with a, especially a lot of early punk, which you can hear on YouTube, is that because it wasn't commercial and because it didn't have the support of the corporate record industry, the people who recorded those concerts were, were with little cassette recorders sitting, yeah. you know, at a table. That's not so going to do it. 
For historical purposes, it's great. But for listening, yeah. it's not so bad. It's not so good. Uh, they don't care anymore in New York if you record. So I record uh, a lot in jazz clubs or whatever and with mm-hmm. fancier equipment that they had. And it's not good. It's, yeah. you know, you know what's funny though? I will just say this. When I do a recording, you know, using a little Tascam, even an iPhone, a little microphone, you know, you you have a mono. It's it's tries to be stereo, but it's it's not really. <laughs> Yet, you listen to it later, and your brain fills in the gaps. Give it about five minutes, ten minutes, mm. and you forget. Your brain does the work, really, really, Peter, for real. Mm. And suddenly, it sounds okay. Hmm. I do a lot of a uh, lot of jazz in the city, and I, I find that to be consistent. So here we have Ramon's Blitzkrieg Bop from 1976. It's Peter Abzug and PJ Ewing talking about punk here on Lester the Nightfly. Blitzkrieg Bop. I think we all might know this one. Mm-hmm. It must have broken through the the veil, the the ceiling that that punk might have had, and gotten into the mainstream a little bit. You think? Yeah, this was um, off their the first track from the group's first album. They were uh, um, signed to a, a record company by Seymour Stein, who is in the city, and. Um, he, he and actually his uh, wife saw the Ramones and said, you know, we, we really need to sign these guys. And they took a chance with them. 
And it really broke open or mainstream, if you will, slightly punk rock. It's generally accepted that the Ramones were the first punk rock band. Um, a lot of people think the Sex Pistols were because they ran into a lot of trouble there and it was all over the news and all over the news here. But the Ramones came out with this three, four months before the Sex Pistols did. The Ramones went to London and played at the Roundhouse, which is considered a milestone in taking punk to England because in the audience were future members of the Clash, of the Buzzcocks, and of the Sex Pistols. So before they even had those bands, they saw the Ramones there. And I believe it was filmed, and you can see this on uh, YouTube. With this album that sold so much better in England than it did here in the beginning, became sort of a roadmap for bands there to take their own sound and their own creativity with those three chords, if you will, and expand their artistic and their musical talent. Because they saw, like many people saw, that you didn't have to go to the Conservatory of London's music to be able to connect with your audience. And so the reason why I picked the first song from the first record is because it's it's considered a an event in itself. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure I included that. It really, it's representative of the genre. Would Would you say that? Oh, very much. Yeah. That's a great yeah. song. Mm, oh, it's totally great. Totally great song. <laughs> so I uh, stayed uh, last summer in the Ramones summer home, the Catskills home. Friends of mine bought it and they didn't know that it was the Ramones home. <laughs> Joey Ramones. They, they yeah. didn't know it. And, oh. and we, we were sitting there enjoying this house that they just purchased on six acres in this little town in the Catskills. And the former owners came over and said, hi, you know, we were two owners ago. And did you know that? And we found out that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's just not a big house. It was it was just hilarious. Um, we're doing two shows. We're doing two shows with Peter. Peter Abzug uh, here on Lester the Nightfly. This is the first of two. We're going to close out this first episode with not classic punk, Peter. This is okay. I'm going to I'm going to venture a couple tracks your way uh, because that Blitzkrieg Bop from 1976 really reminded me of a band that I listened to really 20 years later in 1988. There's a band called The Primitives, and they had a record that I really loved called Lovely, and I listened to it obsessively for for a year or two. And there were two songs that I absolutely love that really echo. They clearly were, were thinking back to the Ramones and this track that you shared with us from the beginning. The tracks are called Way Behind Me. The other one is called Spacehead. Let's listen to some primitives, and then we'll see you next week for part two with Peter Abzug.
We've got another episode coming up next week with Peter Abzug about punk rock. You can go to lesterthennightfly.com where you can find all the links to the books that we were referring to earlier in the chat as well as a playlist so you can see what we're uh, playing and there are some videos as well. So go to lesterthennightfly.com to explore that stuff. See you next week.
This has been a PJ DJ production. Thank you.